0: Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Nuby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks.
1: Week one of the NFL season, finally here, baby. We made it. Can you believe it? Alongside Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Nuby on the Game Plan Podcast. Denver Broncos, week one opponent for the Seahawks, Burke. And uh, it's, you know, everything's been fluid. They just cut down the roster from 90 to 53 over the weekend. And here we go, hitting the ground running, taking on the Broncos.
0: Yeah, man. it's so If, if you put the holiday weekend in it as well, it's crazy to think how quickly yeah. we are coming up to week one of NFL football. It's just, it's so exciting. And you're right. It's kind of that first year where we're discovering the the quick cuts now where everyone gets cut all at once because it was kind of a slow burn the last, you know, up until this season. So that was kind of, it made for an interesting weekend, though. When you combine that with college football, there was a ton of news this weekend. We'll talk about the roster cuts to 53, the headliners from that,
1: plus an update on the uh, team's health. Russell Wilson was on national radio today and said something interesting about what this year reminds him of in terms of expectation. Khalil Mack gets traded. What a headline that was. We'll talk about that and. In- The effect that it has on Seattle, uh, if any, we'll talk about the Seahawks schedule as a whole, maybe trouble spots, maybe advantageous spots. And of course, we'll give early thoughts on Denver week one, but uh, we'll also break down that matchup coming up on Friday's podcast. First Perkins, Seattle cuts the roster down to 53. Uh, A couple of headlines for me. They kept six running backs on the roster five true tailbacks, and one fullback in Trey Madden. The tailbacks are Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, CJ Proseis, J.D. McKissick, and Mike Davis. So this is a big question for us. Were they going to cut one of those borderline guys that had shown a lot of potential? What does that mean? I mean, Karen and that many running backs on the roster, particularly ProSize, who struggled with health, but apparently there's a whole portion of the playbook designed for him. J.D. McKissick, who's been very good when healthy, and now we find out, is not healthy. He's going to be on an early season IR, four to six weeks. Mike Davis, who did some good things last year, but we weren't sure if there was room for him. And they keep a true fullback in Trey Madden. This is a lot of a lot of quote-unquote depth
0: in the backfield on the roster. It is. And and this is something It's so funny because you and I talked about all the coaching changes this offseason, right? Uh, all of the personnel changes that you saw looked like the team was going to try to emphasize the run and I think that gets reinforced once again with their decision to keep six guys on the roster. You know, you know that I thought that that ProSize wasn't going to make it with his injury history. I think McKissick going down probably did potentially prob- yeah. influence at least them keeping six total guys yeah. on the roster. Mm-hmm. Looked like ProSize was a lock either way. Which was surprising to me. I mean, yeah. we were
1: both, in terms of performance and health, there was a question mark on him. Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune was reporting all along. That there's a portion of the playbook designed for pro size and that Seattle never had any intentions of letting him go. Re- reassuring, I think, to Seahawks fans. But also, this is this is his time, man. I
0: mean, if if he can't step up and remain healthy and then produce this year, it's over. Yeah, it's, he's been in a really tough spot because he is a special athlete and a special player when he's healthy because he is such a weapon catching the ball out of the backfield. And I understand, and I think it's smart for Seattle to design plays centered around him. And, and, you know, we say they're keeping six running backs. I wonder how they look at ProSize, though, because it feels like they don't necessarily look at him as a tailback or a traditional tailback, right? Especially given the way that Pete Carroll has used him in seasons past. I'm surprised they kept him, but, you know, once again, the guy that they've used to hedge their bets with ProSize, J.D. McKissick, goes down with the injury for... What, six to eight weeks? He's going to be out for a few months at least uh, this season. Jones fracture. Yeah. You know, when we said those two players were similar, we weren't kidding. On he got re- injured and is out six to eight weeks, just like ProSize <laughs> would be. So hopefully prosize can stay healthy because, Judah, when he is healthy, you know, this offense has a different look. They're more dynamic with him in the lineup. Carson and Penny, we're obviously going to be watching the the carry
1: split between those two week one. I mean, I honestly... I'm more comfortable with Carson right now. Doesn't it feel like Carson's the guy? It does. It does. I mean, I'm thinking of him also in terms of where they've been going in fantasy drafts because I've been doing a lot of those in the past week, and Carson is being drafted slightly ahead of Penny in most standard leagues. And I think part of that is because of an expectation that he's going to be the guy, and I think that's what Pete Carroll has said in in preseason. But I'm just interested to see what kind of load that will uh, be like week one.
0: Yeah. And the Penny injury, I think, really influenced a lot of that. It did. It was ill time. We saw Penny in one game get limited carries. You know, that week two game and week three, I feel like we would have seen him get a lot of carries and a lot of looks and been able to have a better determination on how he fits with this team, at least right away. And I would say the coaching staff probably feels that way, too. Don't you have to feel it out a little bit? I mean, this is a guy coming into a new system that has to learn how the Seahawks want to do things. It's a new coaching staff, a new offense, and he gets injured week one of the preseason. Doesn't really get to see a lot of that game action. And week one is so vanilla. I mean, preseason in general is pretty vanilla, but week one especially is a very vanilla playbook. So I wonder – I mean, I would be pretty surprised if it is – More than, what, 60, 40, 75, 25 disparity, at least early on, until they can get Penny acclimated. Because he just hasn't had enough time in Seattle in the system, I think, to get comfortable.
1: Regular season week one, Denver Broncos, the opponent, they have historically had one of the league's best pass rushes. Run defense, though, has been vulnerable for them. We'll see how Seattle will try to exploit that. We'll talk about that more later in the week. No real surprises at the wide receiver position. Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, Brandon Marshall, Jaron Brown. David Moore makes it as the fifth receiver standing out. There was a little bit of question whether or not Brandon Marshall would make it, but that's another guy, depending on who's reporting you would read, that he was in short a roster spot all along. But we know, you know, Seattle's all about competition. If the guy's not producing, there won't be a spot for him. He did produce a little bit in the preseason, enough to where you could believe it when they said, no, he was always going to make the roster.
0: Week three, he had a good uh, opening half with Seattle, you know, with the starters. He looked comfortable with with Russ. I'm really, Doug Baldwin is the guy I'm keeping an eye on, Judah. I don't know about you, but it does concern me a little bit. Uh, you know, that Baldwin knee injury. You know, this is a guy that's... Uh, you know, going the other direction in terms of age, not that he's old, you know, he's 30, but you talk about a knee injury, you talk about him that saying it's going to be something he's going to have to deal with all season long. That concerns me. I mean, that really does. And mm-hmm. and unfortunately we won't really know how much of an impact that injury is going to have until we see him on the field. But we remember what it was like watching Tyler Lockett deal with an injury last season deal with injuries throughout his career. Remember with the, with the knee injury then he had to come back from, and we saw what he was like when he was fully healthy. He wasn't the same player. Can Doug Baldwin still continue to be effective at his age, dealing with a knee injury all season? Going to be something to keep an
1: eye on. The way it affected Lockett was in terms of slowing him down, and he's a player that his greatness is dependent upon his top flight speed. That's why Tyler Lockett is as effective as he is, uh, is his speed. Baldwin was never relying on speed. It was uh, technique, almost like relentless precision to route running and just a smart player that was fearless and clinical. That's a great word. I'm not sure how much the knee injury would affect him in that regard, but it is something to keep an eye on. I'm almost, though, to turn it on its head just a touch, I'm almost glad that we have clarity on the knee injury Right now, in the sense that he he's going to be banged up, at least we know that every week that it's going to be there. You know, wh- now we can monitor whether or not it's it's harming him or he's fine or what have you. But at least it's better than this ambiguous middle zone of oh, is he banged up or is he fully healthy? Is he going to say anything about it? He came right out. He said it. It almost puts him at a mental ease, even though he's going to be you know dealing with limitations. At least he knows that going in, and it might affect his preparation. It could affect the coach's game plan, and it gives them a chance to adjust on the front end rather than reacting to something they couldn't anticipate. Uh, Tight end, Nick Vanette, Will Disley, Daryl Daniels. Interesting in this regard, Daryl Daniels, a trade acquisition on Saturday from the Indianapolis Colts, I believe, and Ed Dixon not on this list after signing a three-year deal. He was unable to pass his physical, so he's on the IR to start as well, which means Vanette and Disley. Are going to be your starting tight
0: ends? Perkins certainly a question mark. Big question mark there. Uh, you know Vanette's a guy that they you speak of of not talking about injuries or not knowing what a guy's health status is health wise. Nick Vanette, you find out this offseason that he'd been dealing with injuries his first few years in the league, and maybe that's why we never saw him on the field. He wasn't as effective. Preseason, he had a few moments catching the football, but you know the reason they brought in an Ed Dixon. He has the experience. I mean, this is a guy that's won a Super Bowl. Uh, and been in another one with two different teams is a is a, a very effective run blocking tight end. Uh, not going to be so much catching the ball out of the backfield, but you know he was supposed to be kind of a Mister Reliable at that position, at least in the run blocking game. So uh, I do think that this this position offensively is one of the bigger question marks. And unfortunately, when you have an offensive line that has been, let's say, inconsistent over the past few seasons having a tight end that knows the system and that you can rely on is really a big deal. Offensive line, Dwayne
1: Brown, Ethan Posick, Justin Britt, DJ Fluker, Jermaine Fetty. Come on down. George Fant will be your swing tackle. Joey Hunt, J.R. Sweezy makes the squad. Jordan Simmons, a late add from Cleveland. Riso Diambo is waived. Uh, this offensive line group, just Brown and Posick and Britt, I would say centered uh, left guard to left tackle. That's probably going to be the strength of this unit. Effetti will always be a penalty question. Effetti showed up nicely in the run blocking, um, had his vulnerable moments in pass pro and preseason. I think that's just going to be the way that we get to know Jermaine Effetti. He's always will struggle at pass pro and will always be a really good run blocker. But overall, your feelings on the unit? I mean, honestly,
0: avoid the penalties, man. The penalties just, are huge for a Fetty. Yeah, yeah, just and the unit as a whole. In the yeah, but I mean, it feels like primarily a Fetty and Odiambo. Shout out third round pick, um, but uh, <laughs> stepped on Russell's
1: foot that divisional Atlanta game a couple
0: years ago on that yeah.
1: critical play.
0: Yeah, yeah, big man. deal. But uh, that's okay. We move on from that. A Fetty, look. I feel better about the offensive line. I, of course, it's hard to feel any worse than you did the last few seasons with how poorly they played. But they definitely looked better and more polished already this preseason than they had, it felt like, most of last year. Now, the question is, I mean, right out of the gate, and I know we'll get into this later in the week, you have some tough competition that you're facing on the defensive line. So it's doesn't. It's not a... Uh, Let's get acclimated here the first few weeks of the season. It's going to be a difficult task for them, and I think we're going to see pretty quickly here how much they truly have progressed. Von
1: Miller, Week 1, Khalil Mack. Week 2, I can't remember who they play Week 3, but let's not even worry about that (laughs) right now. Let's just worry about those two guys. Dallas, Dallas, Week 3, home opener. uh, uh, Demarcus Lawrence. That's another great pass rusher on the up-and-coming. Speaking of pass rushers on the defensive line, 9D linemen, Frank Clark and... Rasheem Green, Deion Jordan, Quentin Jefferson. Those are your four edge rushers. Probably the most thin position group that Seattle has defensively on an area of the field where they've been dominant historically. Edge rushing, pass rushing in general. Now we've seen that unit wane in production in the last couple of years after being a dominant force early in Pete Carroll's tenure. You know, Deion Jordan, that's a plus. He was able to pass his physical kind of a surprise and a surprising plus he was able to pass his physical and we'll see how productive that he is early because Seattle needs
0: this guy. They do. They do. No big time. I mean, I think that the way he played late last season, it was a reason that Seattle made the moves that they did this offseason so that he's going to be back and healthy. But man, you get one guy that gets banged up there and it's going to happen at some point this season because it's football. You're I mean it's thin there. I mean you're you're going to have issues. If you have two guys that go down, man, you're in big trouble. So you know, you look at a guy a Frank Clark who I, I think, think this could be a breakout year for Frank Clark. It's going to need to be. Yeah. I mean, this is supposed to be the this needs to be the year for him, right? To to kind of step up. He's had moments, you know, he tied he was tied for the lo- rookie league in sacks They get 8 right his rookie season and we've seen flashes Of excellence from him, but nothing really consistent. Not that he's necessarily had the opportunity as well, but this is going to be the year where he and Deion Jordan are really going to have to kind of reclaim that spot and make a name for themselves. Bobby Wagner, your
1: starting Mike Linebacker, as always. KJ Wright will start at the Will when he becomes healthy. Barquevious Mingo will start at the Sam. Uh, Jacob Martin, Austin Calitro, a former undrafted pick that the Seahawks picked up in uh, offseason free agency out of Villanova. Kalitra will be the backup to Bobby Wagner at the middle linebacker position. And Shaquem Griffin, Shaquem Griffin, the fifth-round pick of the Seahawks, the one-handed linebacker. You can't get enough of this story. With K.J. Wright's injury at the weak side linebacker, Shaquem Griffin could very well start for Seattle in his very first NFL game.
0: Right into the fire, baby. Come on. I mean, that's a tough situation to be put in. And I don't think the team was anticipating what happened with Wright, But I mean, he's it sounds like he's going to be out at least this week, maybe the following week as well. Now, fortunately, you know, the first two teams you play didn't necessarily have prolific, prolific offenses last year. So, you know, hopefully there won't be that kind of pressure that we've seen in years past. Um, but man, for a rookie coming from a mid-sized program, already having to overcome obstacles that he has in his life, which is impressive in its own right. But, man, straight into the starting lineup to start your NFL career? Come on. Are you kidding me? That's
1: insane. His older brother will be starting at cornerback on the outside, Shaquille Griffin, with Justin Coleman opposite him. Perkins, we've seen a lot of different (laughs) uh, combinations to start at defensive back on the outside. Um, But there have been a lot of really good staples. We think of Sherman and Browner. We think of Sherman and... Maxwell, we think of Sherman and anybody. And now we get Griffin and Coleman, week one. These guys have both had their moments. Griffin, particularly, uh, uh, evolved really nicely over his rookie year last year, I'd say. Coleman had the pick six with Dallas. He had a couple of nice moments himself. Shout out Salvation Army. Shout out Salvation Army. That was a fun (laughs) moment. Dante Johnson, the signing from the 49ers, a guy that started 16 games last year. He'll be the number three. Uh, defensive back Trey Flowers, the rookie from Oklahoma State that they drafted, they liked what they've seen out of him, and he might usurp Johnson's role at the nickel spot by the time this is all said and done. They also had a late addition of Simeon Thomas. Don't know much about him. And Nico Thorpe has been a special team standout for quite some time. Griffin Coleman and Johnson, with Flowers
0: as a uh, as a backup there, you know we're going to have to be paying attention to that group too. Yeah, you'd feel a little bit better about it if. Uh... The guys behind them had a lot of experience, uh, you know, and maybe were all pro caliber players. The safety
1: position, you mean? Yeah, and that's a great transition because Earl Thomas holdout, no
0: end really in sight with him right now. Even if he ended it today, he's not playing Sunday. In fact, he probably you wouldn't think so. I don't think so. No, I, I think it would take time, uh, more time than three practice days or two practice days at this point to get back. It's a good question. I'm not sure that
1: he would need it. I mean, if a guy like Khalil Mack can be available week one, I mean, it's still the same defense, more or less, right? I just get scared about injuries. You know,
0: I mean, you've done virtually nothing football related.
1: Right. The assumption is that he's kept himself in phenomenal shape, I guess.
0: And if if he hasn't, then you're right. It's just tough in sports to just, you know, go off the couch onto the field, I'm sure, especially with something in a sport as physical. I mean, you can be in the gym and you can be working out and still not be football ready. And it's all a moot point because he didn't report today. So it doesn't
1: matter, yeah. <laughs> you have Bradley McDougal and Tedrick Thompson as your starting safeties. How concerning is that? I kind of like Tedrick. Bradley's I... solid. Yeah.
0: They're solid, but you no longer have a great player there where historically you've had two. What you have right now in the defensive backfield are a lot of unproven and a lot of Wow, they might be really good. (laughs) Even, you know, Shaquille. I mean, I like Shaquille a lot, and he showed a lot of flashes, and I think he is going to be a good, if not great, corner in this league for a long time. But he's entering his second year in the league. I mean, that's asking a lot of a guy to replace, you know, a potential Hall of Famer in Richard Sherman, you know? And you're replacing Earl Thomas, who's been the best or one of the two or three best safeties in football almost since he entered the league. Yeah. In the late, you know, what was it, 2010 when he entered the league? I mean, you're just asking a lot of these guys, um, given the fact that you're a little bit thin up front as well, and the quarterbacks uh, might have a little more time to throw the football than you're used to, all of a sudden, you know, I think that the offense is really going to have to pick up some slack here uh, this season and, uh, you know, get into that end zone a little more often than they have in years past. Former late-round draft pick Mike Tyson was released. Delano Hill from
1: Michigan does make it as a backup safety. Special teamers Michael Dixon will be your punter. Sebastian Janikowski will be your kicker. Tyler Ott will be your long snapper. Shout-out. John
0: Ryan didn't make the the Bill squad. Now it's also interesting.
1: Yeah. That's disappointing. Bummed out for him. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Byron Maxwell on injured reserve. Eric Walden, linebacker on injured reserve, they could still be brought up, brought uh, off IR after Week Six, I believe, uh, for later on in the year. At Dixon, non-football injury list, he's out of course for six weeks as well. All right, moving on in the podcast. How about uh, Russell Wilson? He was on the Dan Patrick Show earlier this morning, recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, afternoon after labor day i just wanted your thoughts on this real quick brian perkins because it stood out to me everybody is kind of uh, dumbing down seattle's expectations this year and expectations are the lowest that they've ever been since 2010 maybe since 2011 when they went seven to nine in 2010 got a playoff spot with the division title um, but Russell Wilson had this to say, which I thought was interesting. Listen to this. You know, it reminds me, of, reminds me of a lot of 2012, and You know, when I, and I got to the Seahawks. And, uh. um, no, nobody had great high expectations or anything like that. But you, you create the great thing about football is no matter what the critics say or no matter what people think, you know, it's, you, know you find out between the white lines, you know, for 60 minutes. And uh, that's what we get to find out, you know, week in and week out. There was a lot of nervous energy in 2012. They had signed Matt Flynn. That was the expectation. Russell Wilson gets drafted, which was controversial in its own right. And then he goes out and balls out in the preseason and rips the job from a highly paid QB. Seahawks uh, started a little slow out of the gate. Still remember to this day, the week one game with Arizona, uh, the week two game with Dallas. Remember the golden tape block on Sean Lee, that game, um, the Arizona game come, came down to the wire down in the desert then. I mean, I went to the Chicago game that year, December 2nd of 2012. That was the week after that tough Miami Dolphins loss. That was after the Russell Wilson coming out party in overtime. It was indeed. Sidney Rice was critical on that team. <laughs> Braylon Edwards was, was big on that Zach team. Zach Miller. Zach Miller was amazing, and, and we love him. And that was the year that they go to the playoffs as a fifth seed. And win a wild card game at the Washington Redskins, and then have that uh, heartbreaking divisional round comeback loss to Atlanta in 2012. But you know that team, I, I thought that was interesting. That Russell felt like, and Russell, as a rookie, you probably, he, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Kind of ignorance is bliss at that point compared to where he is now as a 29 year old, almost 30 year old, coming up this November. But it's interesting that he feels a similar dynamic between those two squads.
0: Yeah, I get what he's saying in terms of expectations, but from a fan perspective, I don't equate this season to twenty twelve at all. The biggest reason you have a franchise quarterback going into twenty twelve. I remember thinking that entire summer, and I think most Seahawks fans were aligned with this, the defense was really freaking good, right? You know, you'd seen Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, and uh, and Earl Thomas were coming into form there. And you knew that defense was going to be top ten. At worst that season, then obviously they ended up hitting on a Bobby Wagner, uh, free agent moves the following season really helped them. But I remember thinking, man, they are a quarterback away from being a playoff team. And lo and behold, they were a quarterback away from being a playoff team because you bring in Russell Wilson. And that's where I have a hard time finding the analogy because you have a franchise quarterback. Seahawks fans, you have a franchise quarterback. Something that teams are constantly on the hunt for. The majority of franchises is in, franchises in the NFL do not have a quarterback that elevates their team to the next level like the Seahawks do. So I find it hard to equate this to really any season in Pete Carroll's tenure because, you know, his last season in Seattle what was that was that Hasselbeck's last year, right? in the play, obviously, Beast Quake. Uh, the next season, you know, you had T Jacks back there. Was Seneca Wallace still on the team? I don't know. It's hard to remember.
1: But it was T Jacks' team. They went seven and nine and missed the playoffs because they lost to the Forty Nine ers Week Sixteen,
0: Christmas Eve. Not like I remember it or not. Anything. Not that it pains you or anything like that. But I, I feel like we're in a bit of uncharted territory because. I don't know what the expectations are for this team. You know, well, I'm hearing if you, you ask all any the place. of the uh, national pundits, it's a four-win season.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm embellishing. Not everyone is saying that, but I'm telling you, expectations. Uh, you know, outside of Seattle, outside of uh, 12 nation, are as low as they've ever been
0: with Pete Carroll and John Schneider, and I think a lot of fans know. feel that way too. I mean, I've, probably. I probably. You know, I think I well, not a lot, but I think it's pretty mixed. We both know a lot of pessimistic fans yeah and I'm kind of that way too, but mm-hmm. I have a hard time imagining if you have a healthy fran- a healthy Russell Wilson, a franchise quarterback, you're winning less than seven games. That's my thing, man. I don't see I
1: mean if there's at any time to rely on the fact that you have Russell freaking Wilson, this is the year to do it. I mean this is you if you have a franchise quarterback, he elevates the play of those around him and the the criticism of the Seahawks as currently constructed is that they don't have much around him. well, it's time for him to elevate it then. He's almost a thirty-year-old quarterback, and you mentioned, you know, have take comfort in the fact that you have a franchise quarterback. But the other side of that is that you have to pay your franchise quarterbacks. The juicy zone is when you don't necessarily know that you have a franchise quarterback because they're still working their way through their rookie deal. Rams, and then they they ultimately follow through and punch it punch down the door. Jared Goff, Eagles, potentially Mitchell Trubisky. The Eagles won the Super Bowl, constructed the very same way, albeit with a backup quarterback doing the trick. But yeah, from a salary standpoint. You have to win in the first five years of that guy's deal, or the first four years, ideally, of that guy's deal on the rookie scale so you can load up around him. We have
0: yet to see the Seahawks win since paying this guy. A lot of teams haven't won since paying their quarterbacks big bucks. I don't think it's an accident. The, the majority of teams, and obviously the Patriots but being they the don't, outlier. they
1: don't pay Tom Brady.
0: No. Top market. No. He, and he's constantly taking it's pay not cuts an accident. and pushing off uh, yeah. you know, money to the next year so they can sign one or two more guys. But, you know, you look at even the Steelers— After paying Big Ben the big bucks, Aaron Rodgers, who gets another contract extension. Aaron Rodgers is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the best quarterback in football. Might be the best quarterback ever. Possibly. Yet, what have they done since he got paid? Exactly. Nothing. Exactly. The closest they've come is, what, a Super Bowl loss and the Seahawks' infamous NFC Championship game. Let's quickly take a look at the Seahawks' schedule. Um, let's break it
1: down by months and do a quick review. What month do you think, uh, just on the face of it, could we anticipate being advantageous or a trouble spot? September, you are on the road at Denver and Chicago, right out of the gate, then home to Dallas and at Arizona. Thinking out loud, all of those teams missed the playoffs last year. I know, so that it, should be one of the
0: advantageous spots. Despite three of the first four being away from home, it feels like it's time to make hay, right? I mean, it, it really does, and it's tough because it's the start of the season, and you're still working out kinks. And Seattle, in the Pete Carroll has typically been better later in the season. But you're right. I mean, at Denver now. Now, granted, Denver does have a quarterback now. They also have Rolls Royce at running back. They officially announced him as their starter for that game. Former duck, um, but it still feels like a winnable game on the road. Yep, at Chicago, another team. You know now they have to face Khalil Mack a bit earlier than anticipated. Maybe on Monday Night Football. On Monday Night Football. But the Bears, I mean, I, I don't know. Do they scare you uh, on the surface based on what we saw last year? Well, this is no. a whole
1: new team, though.
0: It is. It is. And that's new
1: head coach, Matt Nagy. That's what I was new about to say. coordinator, Mark Helfrich. And they've the, got Jordan Howard that's a great player. They've got some playmakers on the outside. They signed Allen Hearns. And that defense now with Mac and the Mike linebacker of Roquan Smith, they've got pieces. I think Chicago's a scary team. Getting them early might be advantageous.
0: Yeah, I know. And that's kind of what I was getting at is, is when you base things on the previous season in the NFL, you're going to get bit as a fan because it's it's a total crapshoot. And when you're adding pieces like Chicago did this offseason, it certainly doesn't feel like a slam dunk. Though if you look at Seattle's track record in prime time, you would hope that Seattle could come away with a victory there. And then, of course, you have uh, – The boys, America's team, in Seattle for their home opener. I mean, a lot of questions around the Cowboys this year, too. I think that if you are going to, boy, it's so hard because the NFL is like three seasons wrapped into one regular season, and you can't put too much stock in the first month of the year. But when you look at the back half of their schedule, and I'll tell you the month that scares me the most here in a minute, but it feels like you need to go at least three and one (laughs) in September. It, It really does feel that way. October features three games because of the bye week.
1: They host the Rams October 7th, that's week 5, at the Raiders, which is a game out in London, in week 6. Now, Sons-Khalil Mack, you get the bye week post-London, and then week 8, just prior to Halloween, you are in uh, Detroit, in the controlled environment of Ford Field. Only one of those three teams made the playoffs last year. That's the division rival Rams, and you get to open with them at home, the first of those two matchups being in Seattle which, ironically, Seattle won in L.A. last year and got the doors blown off them when they played the Rams at home last year, too. Um, But here you go. I mean, of your first seven opponents, five of them, or six of them, missed the playoffs last year. So, I mean, this is the first half of the the season. It's got the bye week. It's got the London game. But this is the time to make your hay. I mean, there's there's a chance Seattle can make an impact early, and they might
0: need to. And their home games are fortuitous, right? Two
1: home games... In September, October combined.
0: I know. That's a little odd. So when you look at their home games, you know, for those first seven games, even though you only have two, one of them against the only playoff team you're playing in that first seven-game span, it feels like it sets up well for them to find success that first half of the season. November opens with a home game against the Chargers. Sneaky team. At the
1: Rams. No way you're winning that game when they're healthy. Hosting the Packers. Always fun playing the Packers. And at the damn Panthers playing this team again in Charlotte? Like, we play this team at least twice every year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is the month for me. This is uh, the scary month. Sure. Not only do you have uh, teams that know you very well in Carolina and Green Bay and the Rams, you also are facing Phillip Rivers, which is always scary, Um, you know, with the secondary that we talked about earlier in this podcast. But you also get Green Bay granted at home on four days rest. With that defense being as thin as they are, that scares me. Now, Green Bay will be on four days rest, too. But, I man, November scares me. I feel like if you can come away with a win, you're pretty happy. Carolina, you never know what you're going to get year in, year out. But, man, they know you well. They're essentially a division rival at this point. They really seem like that. Green Bay is almost to that level, though, too, I feel like. Just a touch less frequent than Carolina, but... I feel like they've played Carolina every year Mm -hmm. since Russell Wilson's been in the league. Did they play each other last year? Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's unbelievable. December features five games. Four of the final five games of the year are at home, Perkins. I like that. Blue end zones in December. Once the soccer season's all wrapped up, that's home to Shanahan's Niners. That's home to the, you know, uh, NFC title appearing Minnesota Vikings. Now with Kirk Cousins. That is at Shanahan's Niners. A nice... That's your only road game in December is in San Francisco. I'll take that. Yeah. December 23rd, hosting the wild card Kansas City Chiefs from last year and Patrick Mahomes starting in Seattle for the first time. Theoretically a Sunday night game. And then hosting the Arizona Cardinals in Week 17. I like four home games in the last five.
0: Big time. Yeah. I mean, it really feels like that middle middle of the schedule is going to be really tough for them probably september and december though haymaking time feels like it it really does it feels like first of all the more and more you look at the schedule it's set up for seattle to win some games this year secondly they got to take advantage though you know you can't play I, I don't know man it's going to be a fun year but they have a chance they have a chance to make some noise. All right, he's Brian Perkins. I'm Chuda Danube. We got
1: to get out here, but we will be back Friday, breaking down the week one matchup between the Seahawks and Denver Broncos. It is finally here, baby. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then the Bears after that before September 23rd's first home game against the Dallas Cowboys. Until then, this is the Game Plan Podcast.